Hallelujah, indeed, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. So I missed you the last couple of weeks. Uh, Sherry and I were in Iceland um, hiking trails and um, trying not to get lost, which would be a dangerous thing in hiking trails in Iceland. And I found myself thinking a lot about you because, well, I'm quite fond of you. And then knowing that I was coming back on the fourth Sunday of Easter, which is Good Shepherd Sunday, um, walking on a bunch of sheep trails, I found myself thinking a lot about Psalm 23 and the fact that David, who himself knew that he was called to shepherd sheep, says, my shepherd is the Lord. I have everything that I need. And when you're out on a, when you're out in weather that could turn on a dime, on sheep trails that could go anywhere, you are very conscious of the fact that you could get lost and it would be really bad. It's easy to say, Lord, I need you to be my shepherd. Make sure I get home. Make sure the weather doesn't change. And it was, I don't know, it was spiritually very uplifting. So I just want to talk a little bit about Jesus as our good shepherd, what it's like, what life would be like without a shepherd, and what it is to have a good shepherd. You know, without a shepherd, I'm going to get lost. Without a shepherd, I'm going to starve. If I don't have a shepherd, the wolves will get me. But with a shepherd, you know what? I'll find the way. With a shepherd, I'm going to feast. And with a shepherd, I don't have to be afraid of anything. But I need not just any shepherd. The shepherd that Jesus describes himself as, the good shepherd, is not just a hireling. Now, sidebar... There is no higher claim to deity that Jesus ever makes than to say, I am the good shepherd, because in Psalm 23, it's the Lord who is the shepherd. Here is one of the clearest claims that he makes, to be Yahweh in person. But what is so profoundly meaningful for you and me is that he's not just like making a guest appearance. It's not like a drive-by incarnation. This is God being all in for us. It's not like the hireling who's hired, been hired to take care of somebody else's sheep. This is God himself in flesh who's come to care for his own sheep. Not just a gig. We're his sheep, not somebody else's. This shepherd, unlike the hireling, doesn't sit back and watch. The Greek word here is wonderful about what the hireling does when he sees the threat coming. It's the word that we get theater from. It's where like, it's like the hireling sits back and he looks at the whole scenario playing out and he goes, whoa, it's going to be trouble. I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. Our shepherd doesn't watch those threats emerge and then bail. He stays to protect In fact, he will lay down his life for his sheep 
and he does. Also, not only is this shepherd not just a hireling, but these are his sheep, but he knows his sheep. He knows each of them by name. Later in verse 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In Luke 15, Jesus compares himself to a shepherd who knows his sheep so well that when a hundred of them are supposed to be gathered, and he notices that one is missing, he goes after the one. Ninety-nine sheep are gathered. That's pretty close to a hundred. And he notices that one is missing. Insert your name. When you're not there, he's worried about you. And he'll go into the wilderness just to get you. That's how much he cares about you. I mean you. Insert name. Personally. So, because I have this shepherd, even though there are so many tempting paths, oh, and aren't there so many tempting paths? Like, in Iceland, the way they make paths for humans is they, they want to get you over here, and the sheep have built a bunch of trails and some of them go that way, and some of them don't go. And where they do go might be okay for sheep, but not for humans. So they have these little stakes put in the ground with paint on the top of them, indicating the, the path that you're supposed to be on. But Sherry and I were there at the early, in early April, which isn't actually, which is like still winterish. And so the weather has weathered off a lot of the paint on top of the stakes. So you have to look really hard to find those stakes. And if you don't find them, and if you just follow the paths anywhere, you may well, very well be over a cliff before you know it. Our lives are like that as well. Life is so confusing, so many easy paths, but only a few paths that will bring life. But because Jesus is my good shepherd... Jesus is your good shepherd, I'll find the way, and so will you. He guides me along right pathway, pathways for his name's sake, says the psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There are so many apparently delicious meals along the way. The mountains are filled with berries that are good to eat and some things that are not so good to eat. There are so many things that I can find satisfaction in for now, whether it's amazing donuts that they make in Iceland and Swiss mocha. I hear that they're amazing liquors that they make. There are, there, there are so many things that I could just eat and eat and eat until I'm just like, there's so many different ways to satisfy so many desires that are in the end 
not life-giving, but life-taking. But because Jesus is my good shepherd, I will feast. My shepherd is the Lord. There's nothing I shall need. Fresh and green are the pastures where he'll lead. And because there are so many potential destroyers from just the mortality of my body as it continues to fall apart, the potential that what will happen to my mom and dad will happen to me, both of them going into senile dementia, both of them teachers, both of them so prizing their ability to understand and to remember and to pass on knowledge could very well happen to me. I could lose every dime in my bank account. I could lose the respect of people whose respect I now enjoy. My world could turn upside down. And yet, because Jesus is my good shepherd, I fear nothing. I really don't. And you don't have to either. In the Psalm, Psalm 23, it's in the very presence of my enemies that he sets a lavish table before me and invites me to enjoy. He anoints my head with royal oil. And the early church, I think rightly so, saw here a forecasting of the anointing of baptism. Because in the early church's baptism, You'd receive the sign of the cross on your forehead to remind you there's no more shame. On your ears, because now that you've been reborn, you're no longer deaf to God's word. On your nose, because now you are a sweet fragrance to God, which you weren't before. And on your chest, because now you can have courage to face enemy, any enemy. One of the most delightful discoveries in our trip in Iceland was from a visit to the National Museum on the campus of the University of Iceland. There they had on display about a four-foot-tall statue of Christ the Victor from about 1200 A.D. with this very um, virile Viking mustache and beard and long hair looking over his people to protect and care for them. And there was a sign that said, you know, in the early church, that was the more typical way of depicting Jesus, Christ the victor. And then it was only in the later Middle Ages that, that Christians began to um, ponder more significantly the, the suffering, wounded, dying Jesus. And please, that's not an either or. He died so that he could be victor. But here at Easter, it's good to be reminded that he overcame all our enemies, sin, evil, everything that we could possibly be afraid of. So, without a shepherd, I'll get lost. With this good shepherd, I'll find the way. Without a shepherd, I'm going to starve with this good shepherd, I'll feast. Without a shepherd, I will be destroyed. But with this good shepherd, I have nothing to be afraid of.
And then John turns a really interesting corner when he takes us to the epistle. And he would have us know that those who have been well tended, they in turn tend well. Those of us who have been well shepherded, we in turn shepherd well. Note the way that John turns this corner. You know, John 3.16 is God so loved the world that he gave. Here's 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, pause for effect, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. In the next verse, John makes the point in a rather earthy way that love flows in so that it can flow out. Listen to verse 17. If you have the world's goods, now in this context, the world's goods could be money. In this context, the world's goods could be something that's even more valuable to, uh, to many of us, just our time, our attention, our ability to tune in and care. Our, our willingness to give an ear to the sorrowful story, to the person who just needs to process their stuff. Or it could be our willingness to go and help brothers, new brothers and sisters from Puerto Rico or wherever. If you have the world's goods, and here's what the Greek actually says, if you close your bowels to them, I don't want you to think about that for too long, but that's what the text actually says. Greeks and Hebrews and Hebrew people set the center of emotions a little lower than we usually do. We think of the seat of the emotions as being in the heart, and they place it a little bit lower. In the Greek word is splachna. You like that? Splachna. How'd you like to say that? Splachna. Come on, one time. Splachna. It's not a very elegant term because it's not a very elegant concept. But if you have the world's goods and you see your brother or sister in need and you close your bowels to them, it's not the love of God that's dwelling in you. Paraphrase. If the love flows in, but it doesn't flow out, yeah, you become full of something, but it's not the love of God. I'm just telling you what the text says. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's all the text says. Close your bowels to the brother or sister in need, and it's not the love of God that you're full of. I'd rather you kept this picture in mind, the picture that... God gives us in the geography of Israel. The Jordan River flows from north up around Lebanon, and it flows south into the Sea of Galilee. It's only about the size of Lake Tahoe, but it's, let's put it right here. The water flows in, and it's full of minerals because it's coming from mountain-rich mountain mineral, mountain, mineral mountains. Flows through supports all kinds of life in the Sea of Galilee. Like you could go there now and you could have 
St. Peter's fish, and it's just like really, really good. Almost as good as the brim we used to catch down in plantation when I was growing up in the canals. At any rate, so the, the, the minerals flow through. There's war, lots of life and energy in the Sea of Galilee. And then the Jordan River keeps on going. And it goes all the way down alongside Israel, separating it from Moab, Aram. And then ends on the other side of that door in what would be our narthex, only it's a narthex with no doors. It's called the Dead Sea. And you know why it's dead? It's because the water only goes in and never goes out. And so the minerals collect there and nothing can live there. There's only death. Now, happily, we've got doors in our narthex. So that when you sense and feel the love of God coming into you, there's this wonderful invitation to go out into the world and to share it. To share it first with one another. You were surrounded by people who are lost, who are hungry, who are being destroyed by who knows what. And maybe all they need is a hand on a shoulder and then, yeah, I get it. The, what the body of Christ is, is people who know that their Savior has laid down his life for them and then has called them to lay down their lives for one another. Not the ease of some country club life, but... You know, Thomas Jefferson, the grandfather of the founder of this church, there, there are many ways in which he was very selective about his approach to Christianity, but one of the ways that Christianity profoundly impacted him for the good was the sense that people are called to commit their lives to one another. And so in that elegant document that he penned that we've come to know as the Declaration of Independence, he closes it with these words. And they are a good charge to any church that's worth calling itself a church. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Brothers and sisters, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another, mutually pledging to one another our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor. And so I, I close as we opened in prayer. O God, whose Son, Jesus, is the good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls each by name and follow where he leads, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen.